We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hello, lovely dateables. Welcome <laughs> to a brand new episode of the Dateable Podcast. We are UA and Julie. As we've mentioned, we are like your dating Sherpas. We all could use a dating Sherpa. We're happy to be yours as we navigate through this crazy but wonderful dating world that we're in. You know, it's funny when we first used the dating Sherpas term, we used it for mm-hmm. the sounding board and we mm-hmm. had the alpacas as our, you know, mascot because we're thinking, yeah. I don't know, that's what like came to mind for us. And I found this TikTok video the other day that was like, how did I know that my girlfriend was the one for me? And it was basically just like this sea of alpacas and one of them just staring like googly eyed at him. Oh. And I sent it to my partner and I'm like, this is, this is how you know. <laughs> <laughs> It was really cute because um, I usually sent him like deep stuff and he was not expecting that. <laughs> also, by the way, I don't know if other people have this issue, but when we were first looking at the animals, we were like, what's the difference between an alpaca and a llama? I know we found a difference, but now I'm forgetting. I, I think one's bigger. I can't remember the exact differences anymore. They look so similar. Yeah. You know, in this video, I don't even know which one it was. Maybe it wasn't even the alpaca, but they're all <laughs> they're all in the same family. We hope. Yeah. We hope we're not discriminating. <laughs> Discriminate against alpacas. Look alike. (laughs) They're cute. They're all really cute. That's all I know. They're super (laughs) cute. I am so in love with them. Well, speaking of like looking at you googly eyed, I recently found out that dogs can get this thing called dumb rabies after they get their rabies Hmm. shot, where they just get googly eyed and their jaw is forever open and they're just drooling. 
and I looked at photos of what dumb rabies look like. It is like, I, I know it's terrible for the dogs because they're in pain, but it's so cute because they just <laughs> look like, they look like people in love, you know? They're just like mouth wide open, jeweling with, with this look of adoration for people. It's, I don't know, maybe I'm being mean. I think I am being mean, but so funny. You know what? Speaking of dogs, I actually saw this article that people that are very attached to their dogs, like owners that have high sentiments of love towards their dogs, there's a correlation with being anxiously attached. And I found that really interesting. And I'm like, it makes a lot of sense. Because, you know, I don't know how the study was done. So don't hold us 100% to it. It was just something I read online. But I could see it because, you know, this is someone that's going to give you undeniable love. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I saw this meme that said, dogs are the only things on earth that will love you more than you love yourself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone go get a dog. Haven't we said that so many times? Didn't you say your partner was inspired by my mojo story? Yeah, he was. He was. He was. Just another uneventful Halloween weekend where I will dress up mojo and not myself. We have a dog parade. We have a costume contest. We have a dog party. my, My entire weekend is book solid with dog stuff. Mojo has three different costumes he'll be wearing. I'm so proud of his costume from last year. I don't know if I talked about it last year, but I'm recycling it. He was dick in a box. Oh, I'm so proud of it. I tell strangers about it. I actually took it to a work function wearing it. Listen, it is the best costume for a dog ever. He needs more eyeballs. So I'm going to get him (laughs) in that costume (laughs) one of these days. Oh, my goodness. Goodness. I love it. You're like, my dog's social calendar is packed. I have nothing going on, but my dog is killing oh, yeah. the Halloween stuff. He's cr- he's crushing it. He's so social. Yeah. We're doing a pumpkin carving party tomorrow. Oh, that's That'll fun. Be fun. And then we're going to the roast of Count Dracula. It's at the same theater as the Star Wars burlesque, burlesque show <laughs> I went to a few months ago. So hopefully that will be good. Oh, that'll be fun. But yeah, we're doing this a few days early for all the people that are like, wait, Halloween already passed. Yes, it's the Friday before Halloween that we're recording. We're in the past. You're in the future now. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. It doesn't even matter. It does, don't <laughs> don't try to get the time. Don't be like Julie and try to get the timeline straight. It, you oh don't my need God, to. you know I love the timelines. Whenever we're you doing do. the long-winded story for people, I'm like, wait, can we back up? I need to know. Play I know. By play. I need this linear, <laughs> linearly I need the out. structure of the story. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I feel like today we're we're talking about something. I'm going to bring it to the episode because we could go on and talk okay, about yeah, dogs yeah, sure. all day long if we wanted to, but it relates, promise. But, you know, this episode, you and I recorded this a little bit ago. This one was one of these ones that yep. we wanted to save for the right time. And it's all about how are we self-sabotaging? And I think a lot of times like we are doing a lot that we're unaware of. It kind of reminds me of the episode we had from last season with Shirzad about the saboteurs mm-hmm. and just like how, you know, we all relate differently and there's certain things from our personalities, our upbringing, the past. So I feel like this is the perfect companion episode to that. So if you love that episode, definitely you're in for a treat. And if you haven't listened to that, you can always go back to the back catalog. That one was so influential for me. Mm-hmm. And I was even thinking about this the other day of just little things that come up 
that you're like, well, I'm not going to change because of this, or I'm going to do it my way. Or when this Mm. person does this, I'm going to do this like more tit for tat. And like all of that comes down to self sabotage at the end of the day. And we Mm -hmm. all do this in a certain way. And I love this conversation, even for the most anxious of us to the most secure, I think we all have some of it showing up. Yeah, I had to rethink back to this episode and what sabotage means to me. I used to think sabotaging a relationship meant you do things intentionally to get out of the relationship. But I think the unintentional subconscious effort to sabotage is the most dangerous part. And I personally do this, have done this in previous relationships by being stuck in my ways because of who I am. By saying yes. things like, well, that's not who I am, or that's how I've always done things, or that's that's how I see things. I'm not going to do anything about it. This like unwavering mindset is really detrimental to relationships because relationships are co- constantly growing and evolving. But if you get set in your ways and stuck in your idea of who you are, you sabotage the future potential of your relationship. I was thinking the same thing, and I'm going through yeah. this now. And you know, it's not like an intentional sabotage. I think the mentality I've had is, well, someone should appreciate my flaws also. So here's here's a scenario that came up is that Mm. I wasn't conscious of my partner like sleeping. So like I would set my alarm and it would go off multiple times. Or when he was trying to sleep, I would like not shut the door and take a phone call. Like basically things that it wasn't intentional in any way. It was just more oblivious and plus years of living on your own and just not accounting for someone else. But there's ways that you deal with that situation. One could just be like, oh, get over it. It's a part of living together. That to me is maybe my old mindset where my new mindset is, okay, it's going to take some effort for me, but I need to think about, you know, I do live with someone else now. They're in my space. I need to make them feel welcome. I need to make them feel Mm -hmm. comfortable. How do I adapt? And that to me is a way that you're not sabotaging because the other method of just saying, take it or leave it, like that's just looking at yourself and not accounting for another human being, which essentially isn't a relationship. Yeah, I definitely can see that happening. We can't expect other people to live their lives like us. So when you get into a partnership, we tend to fit other people in our mold. It doesn't work that way. So it calls for a conversation. It calls for compromise. But the sabotaging part comes when you're unwilling to see how you can compromise or walk towards your partner. And in dating, we see this so many times that people are sabotaging because they only know what they know. And they think this is like the only way to establish power in the beginning Mm -hmm. of a relationship. It's like putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is who I am and I'm not changing for you. Unfortunately, that's how relationships fail from the beginning is when you don't walk towards each other. And Mm -hmm. it's not even intentional sabotage. I think it's just like your singleness comes into the togetherness of a relationship and they they're conflicting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that and then fear. Ultimately, fear is the biggest sabotager of all. (laughs) And, you know, the way that we're socialized, the way way that we want to protect ourselves, like we'll get into all of it in the episodes. I'm not going to go too deep, but I feel like that, the root of it is that every single one of us has a fear in life. Mm -hmm. 
and it maybe it manifests in different ways or it shows up, maybe pull back in one way for one person and another for a different person. But fear, like whenever we talk to people about what's getting in their way, it indirectly roots back to fear. Like there's usually like three hops mm. we have to take till we get to fear. But wouldn't you say like fear is always at the inner core of what is going on for the most part? We are so driven by fear that we're paralyzed by fear. Right? Yeah. Like fear drives us to do nothing. There's this great quote by Buddha, fear doesn't prevent death, it prevents life. And I know oh, that's I a more that. extreme way of looking at fear, but if you apply it to dating, it's like fear doesn't prevent the bad outcome. It actually prevents anything from happening. <laughs> right, which is <laughs> a bad outcome, yes. <laughs> it's a terrible outcome. And when we feel that paralysis, that's when we give up on dating. That's when we become tired and exhausted by dating. That's when we take a dating sabbatical because things aren't happening because of fear. Yes. So we'll get into all of it in this episode. This is such a meaty one. So if you need to listen to it multiple times, even editing it and re-listening to it, I need to take it in like a third time. There's so many aspects of this episode that all phases of a relationship from early dating to you've been yeah. with someone years at this point, this episode is for you essentially. And why is our guest so essential for this episode? <laughs> her name's Raquel Peel. So fascinating about her is that she calls herself a recovering romantic self-saboteur. And she was abandoned at birth and adopted mm. by a nurse who looked after her. She researches relationship sabotage because she's had to build relationships and love ever since she was a child. She didn't have that safety net. I'm so glad you found her her UA because you found her from a TED talk, right? Mm -hmm. What's great is most TED talks are very much about business or I don't know, it feels like they're a lot more, they're a lot less about romantic relationships. And hers really stood out to me because it's one of the only TED talks I've ever seen about love and relationships. And when it panned to the audience during her talk, it was so wonderful seeing people of all ages, all different cultural backgrounds, nodding their head, going, yep, <laughs> I've done that. Yep. I've definitely been there because at the root of this conversation is we've all been in some sort of romantic relationship with someone where we experience self-sabotage. So it was so mm -hmm. relatable on a much grander scale. Yeah, I like that she owns that she's the one that does it too. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. She can speak from experience and you'll hear all about her story in this interview. Okay. Um, well, that being said, I feel like we should just get into it. Let's do Before it. Before we do, let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What makes life so exciting and challenging at the same time is that it doesn't come with a user manual. We all face unexpected curveballs, and sometimes it's hard to not to feel like the victim in it all. I certainly remember feeling this way after my last relationship ended and thinking, how can I get myself out of this dark place? With BetterHelp, you don't have to go through this alone. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and equip you with supportive and productive coping skills. My therapist recently gave me a list of questions to guide me through anxiety. This has helped me sleep much better. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. 
No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash datable. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. Okay, let's hear it from Raquel, all about how we self-sabotage. Relationship sabotage. We've all talked about this in our previous episodes. We've talked about it with our listeners. But what is relationship sabotage? And can you imagine having a career around researching what relationship sabotage is? And that is who our guest is today. Her name is Raquel Peel. She is 35 years old, lives in Brisbane, Australia, originally from Brazil. And she is married and just had a baby. Congratulations, Raquel. Thank you. I'm still recovering. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the word recovering also appeared in your bio. <laughs> Raquel says she's a recovering romantic self saboteur. She was abandoned at birth and adopted by the nurse who looked after her. So, at the end of your TED talk that just went viral for so many reasons, but at the end, you say, Love will never be easy, but without self sabotage, it is a lot more reachable. How would you define what self sabotage is in a relationship? Thank you for that. The way I've defined it is attitudes and behaviors that we employ in a relationship, sometimes not knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, that inevitably helps us damage the relationship, justify the outcomes, and withdraw from the relationship. So sometimes it's good that we can say, I knew it, that person wasn't good for me anyway, and now I can move on. But that's the type of attitude that damages the relationship. It's being able to inevitably win. You win because you've damaged the relationship mm-hmm. that you knew wasn't good for you, or you win because despite mm-hmm. all of the tricks and things that you've done, that relationship survived. Mm. Well, we definitely have experienced that either ourselves or through our listeners, this win-lose mentality. And a lot of it comes from ego and you know not wanting to look yes. bad or that you did something wrong. How do you help people? kind of get over this piece of it because I see it as a self-protection mechanism, but ultimately it's not serving you. So how do you advise people to move forward? That's the hardest part. And you're right. It is a self-protective mechanism. And as humans, we love being right. So at the end of the day, being able to say, I knew it and I was right is very rewarding. And that's what keeps people stuck in this cycle of sabotage because they've put it in their heads from previous experience that relationships don't work, that romance is hard, that men will cheat, Mm. whatever it is that they've sort of Mm -hmm. locked in their mind, we ended up looking for it. So we look for that in the relationship. And I know I did it. So I looked for ways out because I wanted to be the first one to leave the relationship. I knew they were going to eventually get sick of me or not love me or not want me. Mm. So I looked for ways out. And that's that feeling of, I know this is going to happen. I want to be right. It's rewarding. It's satisfying. But in the end of the day, even though we might be winning because we knew what was going to happen, we lose. We lose the chance of a good relationship. We lose emotionally. So I guess where I want a little bit more clarity around is at what point do you notice that you're self-sabotaging the relationship versus getting out of a bad or toxic relationship? If you can give us some examples of what self-sabotaging behavior looks like, that would be great. Yeah, that's a really good point. If it only happened once, I wouldn't 
call that a sabotage because you're exactly right. If it's not a good relationship, get out. Yep. <laughs> the way I see it as defining as sabotage is the cycle. So if you see yourself again and again getting into relationships and moving through them quite quickly and having that quick justification, oh, it didn't work because, this is not good for mm-hmm. me because, I got out of it because. So it's having quick justifications for why relationships are not working. It's putting the reason on the other person. So they did that or they do that or Mm. this is going to happen because they, it's a very defensive attitude. So defensiveness is a big one. It's when we victimize ourselves and put the reason on the other person. So they are the reason because something happened to us. We are the victims. We are the one receiving the behavior. It's not being able to look at ourselves and go, wait a minute, I am the common denominator here. I'm the one whose relationships don't work. Perhaps it's me. And that's where it gets Mm. a bit polemic. That's where I get people going, oh, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you are the one who needs to look in the mirror and go, what am I doing that is the same? What am I doing that keeps me in this cycle? Well, it's definitely easier not to look at yourself. I think (laughs) obviously that's when the change actually happens. Yeah. But, you know, I think we've all been there and hopefully a lot of us have come out of it, but sometimes we can be in the thick of it too, that we're in this cycle. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, wanting to have the last word or wanting to tell your friends that, you know, there's not something wrong with you, that like people are breaking up with you. Like, how can you start to, you know, get confidence that like the right thing will work out and it's actually better to give it a try than to run away? For me, it was, it gets hard, I leave. For some people, it might be, it gets hard or you get emotionally vulnerable, you cheat. Or it might be that you talk to your friends and get that opinion that you shouldn't be with that person. So everyone will have a trigger that will start that behavior of, wait a minute, I'm going to sabotage, I'm going to move on. The part where it becomes complicated, and that's where the healing starts, it's, as I said, looking at ourselves, getting insight of what that trigger is, what that behavior is, and stopping yourself in that moment. So, And I know I still have to do it with my husband. Sometimes we have a fight, and I will say something like, well, maybe it will be better if we're not together. Mm -hmm. And he'll look at me and say, well, you were doing that thing again. It's much easier to think of divorce or to think of leaving than to actually face what the problem is. Mm. And sometimes the problem is we need to talk about this. We need to change the way we are dealing with this. The problem might be raising our newborn or it might be finances. And for me, it's like if I leave, everything will be fixed. No, it won't. <laughs> you're right. Right. And in your research, did you find that there were couples that really had no issues? Actually, things were going better than normal. But someone is thinking, okay, this is too good to be true. He's probably going to cheat on me. So I'm going to treat him like he's probably going to cheat on me. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like how prevalent is that kind of scenario? I don't believe that there will be relationships that are absolutely perfect with no issues. But I did hear people say, this person is nothing like any of my other partners, they are loving, they do this, they Mm. do that, but I'm expecting they will cheat on me. Or some Mm. people deliberately looking for faults that weren't even there. Things like superficial things like haircuts, how Mm -hmm. they dress. One person even talked about the type of belt that person selected. Um, They didn't like (laughs) it. It was too country for them. (laughs) I know. 
So I think when we start looking that closely at, you know, our partner's fashion choices, perhaps it says more about what we are trying to do. And I get it. I sometimes have arguments with my husband about, are you sure you want to wear this? We are going here. We are going there. But in this case, it was looking for anything that could justify that train of thought. This person is going to cheat or leave me or they are no good or they're just like my previous partner. Yeah. And then in that kind of scenario, if someone's just nitpicking at something, and this kind of reminds me of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse by Gottman that you brought up. Can you actually go over what those four horsemen are and how they (laughs) can really sabotage a relationship? Sure. So Gottman talks about four behaviors that inevitably will lead to the end of the relationship if you keep on enacting them without trying to fix the relationship. So defensiveness is is the big one that we already talked about. There is also criticism. So constantly attacking your partner. And that nitpicking that we're talking about here is criticism. It's, you know, it's being able to Mm -hmm. say, you do this, you do that. But again, not looking at what you are doing yourself. Another one, and this is a really dangerous one. This is one where you could be at the end of the tether in the relationship. And that's when you need to actually think about, oh, I I could end this relationship if I keep going. It's contempt. So that's hurtful Mm. when you have contempt for someone. So it's someone talking to you, pouring their feelings out, and you're sitting there rolling your eyes going, oh, here he goes again. I don't want to listen to this. Isn't that like the number one indicator it's over? (laughs) It is an indicator that caution is needed. You really need to start repairing Mm. your relationship here because it's hurtful. It's plain hurtful to be on the receiving end of contempt. So I think for me, contempt is a red flag. You need to do something now. You need to sit down and start healing if you really care about that person, Mm -hmm. especially if you don't mean it. A lot of the times couples will talk about loving, you know, each other and they don't mean to be hurtful, to be disregarding their partner's feelings. But that's what contempt does. You disregard their feelings. You disregard what they're talking about. The other behavior that Gottman will talk about that, again, it's towards the end of that cycle is stonewalling, is when you actually shut down. Mm -hmm. Some people will shut down emotionally. They will be physically there and they will shut down emotionally. So it looks like they're listening, but they're not. Some people will physically leave. So they might leave the room, they might leave the house, they might leave the relationship. So I want to break down some of these and like, how do you get out of this if you're in this situation? Like, how do you, as either the person that's doing it or the person that's receiving it, move forward? Maybe like the criticism one we can start with. Like, what if like you feel like you're getting nitpicked, but your partner sees it as helping you improve? Like, how do you get through that conversation that like continues to fester and bring things to a bad place. You're very right, Julie, because people will say exactly that. They will say, oh, no, I'm just helping. I'm just giving, you know, mm-hmm. uh, advice on, I'm just expressing myself. You're exactly right. People will defend their criticism as a good thing. The one thing that Gottman talks about is that for every one negative comment or interaction that you have with your partner, so if you criticize them, you will need five positive interactions. Mm. So wow. I guess if we're going to break it down, you need to say five good things about your partner in order to be able to heal that interaction. So it goes a long way, you know, to get up and say, I love you. Thank you for making me coffee. Thank you for helping me with with the baby. Whatever it is, it goes a long way, especially if we think about the fact that it takes five times more good interactions to stick than that one bad criticism. But why do people criticize in relationships? What is the intention there? Where is that coming 
from? That's a really good question again. So the reason why we do it is because we want to attack first and that's a way to defend. So if we are striking, we are not getting hit ourselves. And it goes back to that self-defensive mechanism. We are feeling hurt. We are thinking, well, they are going to leave us or whatever it is. If I strike first, they are the ones hurt. I am avoiding that whole situation for myself. So it is that mentality. So it's fear-driven for the most oh, part. It's absolutely fear-driven. And I like to say that, you know, criticism and defensiveness, it says a lot more about us if we are the ones doing it than it says about the person receiving it. And this all stems to wanting to protect ourselves because there is that intention embedded in the root of all of this behavior is I want to be the first to strike because I want to protect my heart. I want to mm -hmm. be the first to do something negative so that I can defend myself. I'm putting up a wall here. And you say something in your talk where we do what we do to protect ourselves, but we get hurt anyway. Yes. <laughs> can you explain a little bit more what that means? Yeah, it's very counterintuitive. The most powerful instinct that we have as humans is connection. So as baby, we want to connect with our caregivers. And we might do that through nursing, through just hugs and interaction. But if we at any moment feel fearful or doubtful that that won't happen, we switch to self-protection. And that becomes the most powerful instinct. So if you think about it that way, we will do anything and everything to protect ourselves. But the catch is, and that's what I talked about in my TED talk, is that it doesn't work. It doesn't work how we think it will. <laughs> because we need love. We need that hug. We need that nursing that we so desire. So in the end, despite all of the self-protective mechanisms that we might try, if we end up alone and without a partner, or if we hurt our partner, we are hurting ourselves. And, and it doesn't work because that's not what we wanted in the first place. We wanted attachment. We wanted connection. And we didn't get it. And how often is this like happening? Because I feel like when I've talked to people about this, it's like, yep, this is kind of part of the course. Probably once the honeymoon period is over a bit, some of this stuff starts to come out. Like, I guess, how would you answer that? And how could people maybe not go down this path? I think it, this would happen to anyone in a relationship. And once the honeymoon period is over, as we put it here, I think that's where it gets exciting, you know, because you, you get to know your partner deeply. And in the day to day, you get to know them when they're tired. You get to know them when they're grumpy. And if we can find ways to connect through the difficult moments and being vulnerable in that, I think that's where the beauty comes in. And, and for me, that was the hardest part because I was very good at connecting superficially, being able to say, I love you, do the big gestures, the dates. But when I was feeling vulnerable, tired, grumpy, ugly, whatever it was, I wasn't able to connect. I wasn't able to let someone hug me through the ugly. So perhaps that's, that's my advice. Let someone hug you when you're not feeling pretty. Let someone be with you. You, mm. when you're not feeling your best. That's, to me, the most powerful moments. What was your turning point? Because you talk about your story of being abandoned at birth. So, of course, you have these self-defense mechanisms of believing that people will leave you, right, in relationships. And how did you overcome that? Or are you still overcoming that? I like to think that it's a lifelong battle because it's my ammo. I feel vulnerable and I want to leave. But I was lucky enough to find a partner that saw through, if you excuse my language, the bullshit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he saw through it. He knew I wanted to be loved because that was the truth. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be hugged. I wanted to be with someone 
for the rest of my life, marry, have kids. I wanted it all. He saw through that. And whenever he would see me start to get a little bit restless, he would call me on it. Mm -hmm. He would call the behavior. He would call the action that I was doing. So for me, it was, it was him. It was being able to face that mirror and go, oh, I am doing that. He's right. It, it wasn't easy. I didn't like being called out, but it was very helpful. So how do people, okay, like if they're in this moment of like, I want to run or I want to criticize or I want to just be stonewall or whatever it is that they're turning to, like how do they take that pause and say like, is this really what I want to be doing? You've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to pause and say, is this about you or is this about your partner? Because as you said in the beginning, if it is not a good relationship, then yeah, you should leave. <laughs> but if this is a good relationship and you were the one getting restless because you were afraid, then you've got to face yourself in that moment. And it's going to be very scary because in the end of the day, there is the potential still that you might get hurt. So we could be sitting here saying, mm -hmm. give it a go, give it a try. And you might do that and still get hurt. And that's the scary bit. There is no guarantee. And, and you're never going to get a hurt-free guarantee this relationship will work for you. <laughs> Deal. That doesn't exist. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh, that would be lovely, but that doesn't exist. So it might be that you do everything right, that you try your hardest, that you are vulnerable, that you face your fears and still doesn't work because that person wasn't the right one. It could be that that happens. And I feel like anybody listening to this probably can relate to some of that behavior, probably can see themselves doing that in previous relationships or current relationships. I think it's important to kind of mention your view on this as a self-fulfilling prophecy. I would love to get into that a little bit more as a red flag for people to, to flag this behavior because it could be become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Can you explain that a little bit more? Absolutely. I am a firm believer that we as human beings are very intelligent and we can make things happen if we believe they will. And that's where the self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy comes in. If you go into a relationship believing your partner will cheat on you or leave you, I actually think you will make that happen because we are smart enough to put things into place to make it so. And I've seen it with my own eyes. I would go into relationships and I would do everything so that would happen. You put things into place. You argue with them, you scream at them and, and you send them away because that's what you believed would happen. And I think that's what we need to be careful of is that if we believe in something that will absolutely come true because you will be enacting that action. So perhaps we should believe that we deserve to be loved, that love is for us. I think that deserving bit for me was the hardest one to believe. Yes, I deserve. It will happen. It will happen with the right person and I can do it. You know, there's no such a thing of, of there is no one for me or I don't believe in that. So I think we need to change what we believe in. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think one thing we see this in early dating too. It's like you think you're going to get ghosted and you're constantly on the lookout for someone that's going to ghost <laughs> you. And then of course you get ghosted. Yeah. What yeah. about the people in early stages that tend to pick the wrong people all the time? Because we definitely know of people like that, that just person after person is just not someone that's, you know, interested in a relationship or emotionally available, whatever it may be. And then, you know, it's easy to blame it on that other person yeah. why things never seem to work out. What advice would you have for someone in that boat? I would start by asking why they are selecting those people to go on a date with. So what is it common about those people that they are selecting? So it might be people that have on their profile, for example, that they are carefree. And if we keep on selecting carefree people and then we keep questioning, oh, I don't like those types of carefree people. I like people who plan. I like people 
people who mm-hmm. have a career all laid out for them, well, then why are we going for carefree people? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you like. But mm-hmm. if you are turning around and saying, I like planners, well, then we are selecting wrong from the start. So I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is, right. what is it that we are looking for? And are we going for that? Or are we going for the complete opposite to justify that failure? Because that's very easy to do that. And no, you won't find a good match if you're not looking for the right thing. And sometimes even in the profile, they will say, I'm not looking for a relationship. And then we select, oh, that's a good idea. Right. Right. Believe what they put in their profile and don't think you're going to change them. Look for what you want and be brave in selecting that. We've just had this guest in the past that got on this podcast for over an hour and talked about how they were not in the place to have a relationship. And you would not believe how many people reached out to this guest. And then we had all these other people saying that they were perfectly ready. No one reached out to them. No one. So I'm convinced people like don't know what they want a lot of times or just maybe aren't ready to Face it. Because I know for me, like when I wasn't in a place of really being ready, I was picking the wrong people and focusing on qualities that didn't matter. Yeah, that's a, a great example. And why, if I'm looking for a relationship, why wouldn't I reach out to someone who is talking about wanting a family, having values, or whatever it is? Or even like when someone told you they didn't want a relationship, almost feeling like you needed to like win and prove them wrong. And then if it didn't work out, you're like, oh, well, it's them, it's not me. Like, like they told me that from the beginning, but it's also right. like, why were you spending all this time? It's so much easier to go for someone that's just willing to be in a relationship. Yeah, yeah. People definitely complicate dating more than they should, especially with this win lose mentality of like, I'm going to win this person over. I'm going to change their mind. This is my project. Uh, it's really fascinating. But Raquel, you do give us some hope here because you talk about three ways to get out of this cycle of self sabotage: <laughs> insight, expectation, and collaboration. Let's Let's go into those three. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe we can do it. I believe we start with insight, really getting to know who we are. Take that mirror out full length. Look at yourself. Look at the ugly. Look at the pretty. I used to believe for a long time that I'm ugly, that no one would love me, that I have a funny accent, that I'm quirky, whatever it is. I would pick at everything. And I would take that to relationships. I would get with people. And once they told me that I was pretty, I wouldn't believe them. Mm-hmm. I would think there is something wrong with them. Why are they saying this? And we need to face that. We need to ask ourselves, why is it that we are so hurtful to ourselves? Why mm-hmm. is it that we are so mean to ourselves? And having a loving partner that saw through those behaviors and those attitudes was helpful to me because he would help me with that process. He would point it out. He would call me out. But it doesn't mean that you have to do it with someone. You could do it by yourself. That could be step one towards getting to know yourself, towards trying new relationships. Be truthful. Be who you are. If they don't like you, well, they're lost. So wait, a clarifying question. When you said that he would call you out, like what did he say exactly? Like what happened and what did he say exactly? To- <laughs> he even gets angry with me now when I say things, he would stop me and say, that's not true. That's not true. What do you want out of that behavior? And sometimes we we want attention. I truly believe that. Sometimes we victimize ourselves because we want attention, because we want someone Mm. to say, oh, come on, you know, Mm. let me look after you. And it gets to a point where it's damaging. So he would point it out and say, you're doing this to get out of the situation. It got hard Mm. and you're doing this to get out. And then he continues to do that. And I have to admit, sometimes I 
still do it because it's easier. Mm-hmm. It's easier to victimize ourselves. It's easier to point mistakes in ourselves than to face the fact that we need to deal with a financial issue. We need to deal with, right. you know, something in our relationships that it's not working out great. Okay. So that's, I could see like if you're in victim mode, but like, what if you're actually, you know, doing one of the things that we talked about earlier, like criticizing him or stonewalling him? Like, will he call you out on those behaviors also? Criticism is a hard one because we are hurting the other person. So that will be harder for him to call me out because I'm physically hurting him with something that I'm saying. So that one is one that we still struggle. I have to stop and go, oh, that was hurtful. Why did did I say that? Mm. And that took me a long time to to realize. And and I started to realize in his reaction, in seeing him sad, in seeing him hurt. And I would stop and think, oh, there was no need for that. That actually is not even true. And that's how I deal with it now. Stonewalling is something that he can help me with still because he will say, no, you're not allowed to leave the room. We are finishing this conversation. (laughs) And look, that's not a perfect recipe. I don't know how people are going to do it in their own relationships, but it's figuring out a way to be in the moment and realize the triggers. So what is triggering that behavior? How are you acting once that's being triggered and how can you stop? And whatever it is that you find that works for you, that's great. It's working on yourself, really. And it's not easy. It will take many trials. So if you think you can just do it in in one argument, in one fight, and that will be done, I think that's unrealistic. You have to continue to do that throughout your relationship. And I think I've been been together with my husband now for 12 years. Wow. And we still do it. We still stop arguments to say, oh, okay, that was hurtful. Actually, I'm sorry. That was more about me than it was about you. Let's start again. Mm. From the receiving end of the sabotaging behavior, your your partner sabotaging you. There's one way you can call them out. What are other ways that you can just like let your partner know that they're doing this? Actually, that's how we started. So I told him about all my previous relationships. I told him about my traumas, my fears. So I laid it all out for him. I explained why I would act the way I would. So he had all of the history, all of the baggage. So he knew what he was getting into. So I guess for him, it was the knowledge, the confidence that I loved him. And I wanted to really work on this relationship and I needed his help. So that's why I talk about collaboration. I actually needed Mm -hmm. his help. I needed him telling me that I was doing it in the moment so I could stop and think. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Sometimes I'm so deep in the moment that I will be like, no, you can't tell me what I'm doing and you can't tell me how to feel. (laughs) I guess my answer here is I laid it all out. I was honest. I asked for his collaboration. He's able to now help me. But being on the receiving end of all this sabotage is not easy. And I keep telling him that he needs to write a book himself on how to be on, on the receiving end. I love the confidence, but I feel like sometimes that can be really hard, especially in the early stage of a relationship, right? Yes. To not take things personally yeah. or to yep. really be like, I want to be with someone that really wants to be with me. And if they're saying things, then you start to doubt all that. Like, how do you look at all the other actions, maybe? Like the bigger picture and not just the moment that feels like the sabotage. Oh, I don't have a perfect answer for that because it takes confidence. It takes a belief that that person loves you. And I think that came from that very truthful conversation with him because I don't know that we could have survived with all of my tricks and maneuvers to get out of the relationship.
relationship if I wasn't honest with him that I loved him and mm. I was just not very good at being together with someone. He talks about this and he, he gets hurt in the process. He gets rejected a lot and I have to acknowledge that. And then sometimes I will acknowledge that and say, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I rejected you. It's not what I mean. I don't know. I feel like this is a whole new episode, how to be on the receiving end <laughs> of a saboteur. Can two people with self-sabotaging behavior have a healthy relationship or are they just doomed? <laughs> no, no. Look, I don't actually think any combination is doomed because it goes back to me. Honestly, it goes back to that point where you can be truthful and vulnerable because you have done some soul searching, you have digged, you have insight into who you are. And I believe it starts with that conversation. This is who I am. This is who I act. What can we put into place for when things are triggered and the fire is on and everything Everything is haywire. So is there a way to collaborate like when you're not in a long-term relationship? Let's say it's an early relationship under three months. Is there a way that someone can use these techniques if they're feeling like this fight or flight mode? I believe that is. One thing that I've used very, very early in the relationship was asking him to always reply to my text messages. Because oh, love that. in that very early stage, people tend to play games. Yes. Mm -hmm. You text, they take a long time to reply, and then you think, oh, do they like me? Do they move <laughs> on? So I was honest with him and I said, I, I need a reply. Even if it's just, I'm at work, can't talk yep. now, mm -hmm. got your message, we'll get back to you later about that date. Whatever it is, I just needed to be acknowledged so I didn't go into a spiral of that person left me. Yep. Even just sharing fear of abandonment early on was helpful. Yes. <laughs> yes. So is that part of, we talked about collaboration. You also talk about insight and expectation. Is insight part of that? Just giving more information about yourself? I think so. Look, you've got to measure yourself, right? You can't be on that first date and telling them everything because <laughs> oversharing is a real issue. <laughs> I, I guess you just have to... To, you know, step by step, as you get into know that person, as you feel like the subject has come up. So for me, it was being honest. I am not very good at committing to relationships, but I'm willing to take this, you know, step by step. And then the text message thing came up for me because he worked night shifts at the time. Mm. So it was all over the place. I would message him, he would be at work, he would message me, I would be sleeping. So I said to him, I said, look, when you get it, can you just acknowledge? Or when you're going on the ground and you don't have your phone, can you let me know? Mm. And that really worked for me. I became less anxious. And if you are less anxious, then you start acting a bit more rational. But expectations is another big one. So if you go into a relationship or into a date, expecting that's going to turn into a serious relationship, marriage, kids, and the other person is not there with you, that's not a recipe for a successful engagement. So it's again, being able to have that conversation. Where are we at with this dating, with this engagement? Your example really displayed all three so beautifully, insight, expectation, <laughs> and collaboration. The insight is I have this self-sabotaging behavior. I may do this X, Y, and Z. And the expectation is I expect that you to reply to my <laughs> text messages as soon as you get them or just keep me updated. And the collaboration is I hope you will call me out on my behavior when you see it. Love it. All three things beautifully wrapped up in exactly what you've been doing with your husband. And I hope we 
we can take that to our own relationships because uh, I had to jot those down. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get the insight part down. Yeah. I love that though, though, because I feel like so often we're afraid to say, you know, what's going on for us and it makes us look needy or it makes us look undesirable. And I think every, the way you just said that was very vulnerable, if anything. So I think it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I mean, that's clearly a theme that always persists in our episodes, but I think what you just said was living proof that you can say things in a way that can make you feel closer to someone. Absolutely. My husband has a saying, and I don't know if I can repeat it, but he said, (laughs) everything can be taken two ways. So you've talked about seem needy, right? So if you are with someone that perhaps is not into you and you do a certain thing, they might look at you and go, you're needy. But if they are into you, they might look and yes. say, oh, this is loving. This is caring. This is so true. Yeah. So, so true. I think we need to get over, you know, that fear of seeming this or that, because if we are with the right person, they are going to get it, I believe. Yeah. And I think that goes for date like three and three years in, 30 <laughs> years in, you know, like that doesn't years ever in. change. I think the right person will meet you where you are. And it's a filter in a way to find that right person by being authentic and being true to yourself. I think so, because I can look back at lots of things that I did in my first, second and third date and, and go, oh, that could have been very needy or very uh, off-putting, <laughs> but it wasn't to him. So right. mm-hmm. I guess that's finding that other person who will get it, who will see where you are coming from. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm 
often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. (laughs) Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From all of your research with all these couples, what are some of the most surprising findings? Uh, I don't know if it's surprising, but it was very heartbreaking to read testimonies where people would feel very similar to how I felt, just ugly, unaccepted, unloved. A lot of testimonies from people who were questioning their identities. So they didn't know their gender, they didn't know their sexual preferences, but they knew who they liked and they were afraid of not being accepted. And that for me resonated really strongly. I read countless testimonies of people saying, I fear I won't be accepted. Mm. It's not surprising, but it's really something that I believe we need to keep looking at. Because it goes back to that attachment, uh, that need to be with someone. That's what we want in the end. We want to be with someone. We want to be accepted by that other person. And if that doesn't happen, or if we think it won't happen, I'll protect myself then. That's the alternative. And I think that if we look at that acceptance before it becomes fear and self-protection, maybe we can change things. I mean, you've given us so many tidbits of ways to get through this. But if someone is in this position right this minute, what is kind of like the number one thing you would tell them if they're the one feeling like the sabotager and then maybe the one that feels like their partner is being the sabotager? Yeah, well, if I go back to the example about the person feeling, or this one particular person feeling that they wouldn't be accepted, what was surprising, I guess, for me was that they hadn't had any interaction with that person yet. So they were questioning, you know, gender and sexual identity, and they knew they were in love with this particular person, but they hadn't told them. They hadn't had any interaction Mm. to suggest that they wouldn't be accepted by that one particular person. So it goes back to their previous experiences were telling them that that would happen. And then that's why they believed it. So I guess my advice for that saboteur is 
I know your previous experiences are telling you something, <laughs> but you don't have hard mm-hmm. evidence that this yes. will be repeated. And that's the truth, isn't it? We don't always have that hard evidence, but we look at previous experience to tell us. And that might be helpful, but it might be very hurtful as well. Mm. I mean, that's great advice because I think that is how we like to justify what's going to happen next. But especially in relationships, a lot of times your relationships don't last or the dates don't progress. So if you're just always looking back on the past, that's not really an indicator of the future. So I totally, I think that's a great piece of advice for people. I believe that if we were to ask the other person on, you know, on the other end, they probably would be completely unaware of the whole Mm -hmm. situation. And that's the truth of it. They probably didn't even know. Perhaps they were into the the person. We don't know. But we assumed all these things. And that can be very dangerous. Yeah. They always say there are like four people on a date, right? It's (laughs) you in your physical body, them in their physical body, and like who they think you are next to you and who you think they are next to them. Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) It's a little crowded. (laughs) Yeah, too many people on that date. But also it's like you think about all your fears and anxieties and you don't think about whatever someone else is going through ever. And you probably find they've got the same fears. They want to work through them as well. They are feeling needy. They are feeling weird. They're feeling quirky. I mean, this has been such an enlightened conversation. Hopefully people that are listening that have either felt this way before or going through it current day can learn a lot. I I think my biggest takeaway, I mean, there's a few that would come to mind. But one, this just seems to be a recurring theme in a lot of episodes we've done in the last season of just how much fear gets in the way of everything. And it can take things that are really good and self-serving for you and convince you otherwise. And it's really important that we're having these conversations and helping people identify what's actually happening so you don't let fear get the best of you. So I think that's one thing that really stood out. And I loved what you said too about like we choose what we believe in. And that's such a powerful statement because, you know, if we choose to believe that we're not worthy, we're unloved, then we're going to act in ways that sabotage. Until we can make the decisions and choices that we do deserve it, then that will get less in our way. So I think that's really important for people to remember is while there might be a thought in your mind that keeps popping up, it doesn't mean that it's accurate in any way. And it's your decision if you want to choose to believe that or recognize that it's coming from somewhere else. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a really challenging thing to do sometimes to separate. Where is this thought coming from? And I think that's my biggest takeaway is this idea of the self-fulfilling prophecy. Our minds are so powerful that if we believe one belief, then that feeds into our actions. And we have to remember that it's a one-two process. Our minds think of one thing, and then that is what informs our action. So we believe this way about ourselves or about our partners, of course, our actions are going to follow suit. And that's like a very dangerous place to be if you're mind is not in the right place and it controls the wrong actions. So to me, I feel like to be able to take control of your mind and really step back to think, do I truly believe this? Or is this from like a previous relationship, a previous trauma that's feeding into this information? I always think about this idea of how you would act differently if you were given different information. Like for example, for all of the daters out there, what if someone told you your person's right around the corner? 
today? How would that feed into a different action for you today? Versus I'm going to tell you now, the next person you're dating is going to cheat on you. How would that feed into your actions? You treat them totally differently. And then the worse you treat that person because of this preconceived notion, the worse a relationship gets. And that's when you get into that cycle of the self-fulfilling prophecy. So we just have to keep that in mind that our brains are just so powerful. And it's hard. I think it's a hard thing to kind of come to terms with that it's you that could be sabotaging your (laughs) relationships and your dating life. I think it's so much easier to blame other people or the apps or your city or whatever you go to. But I think there's so much power of taking accountability and owning it because ultimately we said this shows up for everyone and it's up to you to figure out how you're going to deal with it. Are you going to be the couple that lets this continuously become a thing and stand in the way of happiness? Or are you going to get ahead of it when it starts to come up because now you know where it's coming from? And that word deserving, Raquel, the way you said it, I mean, that it's just so powerful to think about because we all get in our own minds where we think we're not deserving of the love that we've been seeking. And that feeds, again, into our actions. And I recently watched the stand-up special with Taylor Tomlinson, who's an amazing comedian. She's in her 20s and going through all of this. She's a self-saboteur. And she sabotages all of her romantic relationships where she gives an example of a guy's like, oh, you're really beautiful. She goes, oh, yeah, you must use that line on all the girls. Uh-huh. You know, like, that must be your thing. You know, she's like, we could be 80 years old on our deathbeds holding hands. And I'm still thinking this guy's a fuckboy. This is his thing. You know? Well, if you think everyone's a fuckboy, right? Right. <laughs> Right. And that's all you see. And I sometimes forget that we need to be accepting of all the good things that are happening. If someone treats you well, don't hold back and think, oh my gosh, this is different than every other relationship. We have to be like more open to that experience because there's a reason why this is different from your previous relationships because this one may actually work. Yeah. Right. And I love what you said too, is like, there's no guarantee that you're not going to get hurt. No. Like, there isn't, yeah. but there actually is a guarantee if you're the one that's doing it. Right. You're absolutely right. That's true. That is a guarantee. You are sabotaging it, that you are going to destroy it. So I'd rather roll the dice and see. Hopefully the other 50% makes it work. I do too. Rather than you driving it into the ground yourself. Oh, fantastic. I hope this is like a very empowering episode for people. Thank you. This is in our control. Thank you so much, Raquel, for doing all the research and for people to, I see that you have a few more research opportunities coming up for people to get their hands on that or they want maybe want to participate, where can they find you? Just go to my website, so raquelpeel.com and I'm often posting links to my research in there. There is also ways to contact me for research interviews. So yeah, my website's the best place to go. Wonderful. Well, anything else? Any last words for our listeners? Stop sabotaging. Give it a go. <laughs> Stop sabotaging. Yeah. Yeah, and I like having empathy for the sabotagers too. Not to say that it like it should come from yourself, but having a little more empathy of where it's coming from, I think goes a long way too. I guess just do it in the sense that don't wait for the right moment to start looking at yourself and start changing yourself. Give it a try. Don't wait for that guarantee. Just do it. Yeah. It doesn't need to be perfection overnight, just 1% every day. No, no, 1%, 1%. And like you said, it's a lifetime of work. It's not like everything gets resolved all of a sudden. We just keep working towards it. Keep working because you deserve the love that you want. Yes. 
That's it. We deserve the love. And we are so grateful for you. I don't think we deserve you, but we are very grateful for your time on our show. And for all of our listeners, if you truly love this episode as much as we did, please give us five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice note, a love letter, if you will. We really appreciate that. And for Raquel, thank you so much for taking the time out of your newborn life. (laughs) to get on this show. I know that we're on different time zones and you just had a baby. I can't believe you're on our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me anytime. You are incredible. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Stay Dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag StayDateable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.